Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So this morning we're going to be going right into a continuation of the message of hope. And I just want to tell you real quick, Pastor Lou spoke on Wednesday night continuing the series, did an incredible job. So if you haven't yet, go back and listen to that message. It was so good. Talking about hope that we have even in the midst of times and situations that seem like, where is the hope? He went back and looked at the road to Emmaus as Jesus was opening up the scriptures to the two disciples that didn't even know who he was. And it was just a really amazing um, story or, or account of that. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the hope that we have in Jesus. And we're especially looking at it in this time of year during the Advent, Advent season. Because we recognize that when Jesus came to the earth, it was the introduction of hope to all of humanity. And I've heard this phrase thrown around in the Christmas time. It's called the season of perpetual hope. Now, I don't know where this originated, but I did a little bit of homework. I, I heard it on uh, Home Alone, on that movie. We were watching it with my, my kids. I don't think that's where it started. But I did go back and I looked at uh, some of the sources, and some say that it is found um, out of the story uh, called The Tale of Two Cities, written by Charles Dickens in 1859. And this is the book that opens up appropriately that it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we could look at this life right now and think to ourselves, in some ways, it's the best of times. Just coming out of worship and recognizing who God is, it's the best of times. But also looking around and recognizing some of the struggles and, and circumstances of life, we could say, in some ways, it feels like it's the worst of times. But yet we have the ability to step into this, not just hope, but perpetual hope. And as this story unfolds, and it's during the French Revolution, and there's so much going on, towards the end of the story, one of the main characters begins to speak to the hope that he sees in the future. Begins to speak to the hope that is coming. And we know that regardless of what we are facing right now, that we have hope found in Jesus. That we have the ability to continue to step into, to walk, and to experience the hope that God gives us. And so as we're looking at this here today, and I'm, I'm speeding up a little bit just for the sake of time. I want to start in Hebrews chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 3. This is uh, a letter being written to the Hebrews. Uh, the author is not confirmed, I believe, and just based off some study that it was Paul. But regardless, there is this letter being written to the Hebrew uh, people. And in this letter, he is speaking to them. And he, in chapter 5, is not very kind. He's not very gentle to these, to these individuals. He says that in many ways, you guys are still acting like babies. He said, you should be at this point eating solid food, but yet you're still just drinking milk. You guys should be farther along than you are right now. And as we continue to read, we start to see why this is. It's because they're spending a lot of time going back to the elementary doctrine of Christianity that they are spending this time going back to the law and to the old ways of doing things. And if we really, just to sum this up, it's because they're putting their trust and their reliance back on themselves. They're looking at their own strength and their own ability. And the writer is correcting them and saying, listen, this is what babies do. This is infancy. But you are supposed to grow beyond this place. You are supposed to step into a place of greater maturity. 
And what I believe here today is that as we continue to look into this, that we realize that out of a maturity comes an ability to hope. When we come to a place of recognizing who Jesus really is, it gives us the ability to step into a hope that is not temporary, a hope that is not based off of things that are changing all the time, but it's a hope that is found in the truth of who God is. We looked at these definitions last week, the difference between the world's definition of hope and the biblical definition of hope. And we said that the world's definition of hope is basically that we wish something would happen or we think that it's possible that it could happen. But the biblical definition of hope uses this word expect. That to hope in a biblical sense is to actually expect that something is sure and something is certain. You see, when we step into a place of relationship with God, what we realize is that what he has said is not just possible, but if he is the one who has said it, if he is the one who has spoken these words, then guess what? It is going to happen. It is not a hope or wishful thinking, but it is an expectancy because we know who said it. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, He says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward into further understanding. That is what we are hoping for as believers. That we wouldn't stay in a place of infancy, but that we would move forward together into a place of greater understanding. See, we need to be aware in our lives and in our walk with God of the places where we have spiritually stopped growing. The places where we have maybe become stunted in our belief systems. And I'll I'll say it this way, because sometimes we recognize that there are areas of our life that we have fully yielded to God, that we have given him access to all of it, and we've said, God, have your way. And we've seen what he's done in them. But there are also other places at times that we tend to kind of keep to ourselves. There are places of hurt, pain, trauma, places that are difficult to go to. And sometimes it's these places that we kind of separate Because we don't really want to look at it. We don't really want to talk about it. And so where we've yielded everything in one area, we have held back another. And the way that we can see this is by recognizing the places in our life where, well, we could say it this way, that we haven't been bearing any fruit, or the fruit that we have been bearing has not been the fruit that we wanted. I'll give you an example. There are times in our lives, and I'm not going to give you a specific example about my own life, but there are times in our lives where we respond in a way that we're not proud of. Where a situation happens, somebody says something, someone does something, and then out of us comes something that we weren't expecting or that we have to go back and we have to clean up afterwards. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And and so sometimes we... We don't realize what's really going on until we hear what comes out of our mouth. We don't realize what's really going on until we start to feel these emotions come up inside of us. 
an anger that is burning, a depression that is, that is bringing us to the greatest depths, to a place of anxiety where we feel this fear ruling in our hearts and in our minds and in our thoughts. These are the places that we have to start to look at and recognize that we have attached ourselves to the wrong place. So when Paul is talking to the Hebrews, he starts to remind them of the resume of God himself. He starts to say, in the places that you've trusted in yourself, this is where you've stayed in a place of infancy, but I want to remind you who God really is. And so he starts to to unpack this a little bit, and it really is so powerful when you look at verses 13 through 20. He says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, And I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. You see, God made a promise and an oath. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And then he actually gave collateral for it. It's one thing to say, I'm going to do this thing, right? You can go and you could take a loan and it could be based off of your good name. Maybe your credit score. Or you could take a loan that is based off of a piece of collateral. Which one is stronger? The one with the collateral. Because there is something in it for you to lose. And often you will get more trust if you are willing to put something on the line. So what God does, and we look at verse 16. He says, now when the people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself... This word means that he stepped in. He placed himself in the middle of the situation with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. What does this mean? God didn't just say, this is what I'm going to do, but he basically swore to himself on his own name that this is what I'm going to do. And then he put himself in the midst of the situation. He, he made himself present in the midst of it because he wanted Abraham to know, I am going to do what I said that I would do. Now, Paul goes on to look at this and he says, this hope is a hope that we have in him. So uh, the, the rest of verse uh, 18, it says, these two things are unchangeable, both his promise and his oath, because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And in verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Where is our ability to trust in God found? It is found in the person of Jesus, who is our anchor behind or within the veil. What does this mean? Okay, in the tabernacle, it had various areas, and there was one called the Holy of Holies. And if we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, it says that the high priest entered into the inner room once a year and never went without the blood for the sins of the people. So the high priest was able to go into this place. But God also warns Moses that if your brother goes into that place and doesn't go in the right time and in the right holding what he's supposed to be holding, guess what? He's dead. 
there was something so sacred about this place because it was the place where God existed. And he said, if you're going to come before me, there needs to be an atoning sacrifice. So what did Jesus do when he died on the cross, when he went to the grave, when he rose again? It says that he actually became the atoning sacrifice that we needed so that we could now enter into the place where God dwells. I just want to read a little bit more about this in in chapter 9. Chapter 9, continuing in verse verse 8. It says, By the regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. Okay, the the old way, the old law. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. The law was able to show us what was wrong, but it wasn't able to actually fulfill the requirements. Verse 10, For the old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. But verse 11 says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all. And listen to this last part. He entered it once and for all and secured our redemption forever. You see, we have to recognize what we have been anchored to. Where we have placed our trust and our hope. The thing is, is that our definition of hope is directly connected to the place that we have placed our trust. If we think that our trust and and our hope is just based off of our own ability, then we're going to have the world's definition of hope. I hope things are going to go better. I hope things are going to improve in my life. I'm wishful in thinking that things are going to change. But when I connect myself to the truth of the word of God, when I recognize that through the blood of Jesus, I have been given redemption, that I have been now given the ability to come before God as a child, a son, a daughter of the Most High God, it changes my dynamic on the way that I see the situations that I face. The, the place that we put our hope, it truly matters. And we have to be aware that in this world, there are going to be so many things that are offered to us as a place to put our hope. But so many of them are unstable. They're ever-changing. The world wants to say, if you do this and you say these words and you act this way, well, then you'll be accepted and everything will be okay. But can I remind you once again that the world can no longer even define what a man is and what a woman is? Like, if the world can't figure out simple biology, then how are we expected to put our trust, our hope, and our faith in the systems of this world? We cannot. Because it is ever-changing. It's ever-moving. It's shifting. There is no security to be found in it. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking back to one of my previous jobs. uh, Not the one in the brown truck. But when I worked construction... There were certain regulations that we had to follow, okay? And 
if we, I'm wearing my new gathering shirt just by the way, if we were to go above four feet high, we had certain restrictions that were placed on us, okay? So the reflective vest is, of course, when I fall, people will see me and notice me, not step on me when I walk by. The hard hat, of course. We had to actually tie off to something. And so the harness was a little more elaborate than this, but we'd have to put on a harness and we'd have to tie off. Now, it's funny because you'd walk around and you'd see what some people were tied off to. It wasn't anything secure. Like, you could come over here. I'm above four feet. Like, okay, well, don't worry. I'm going to tie off right now. So I'm good, okay? If I fall, this is going to catch me. (laughs) Clearly, this is not going to do anything for me if I fall. There's no real security in this. But can I tell you that in our lives, we put our hope in a lot of things that are just like this? Things that may look good, like, hey, it's pretty solid, but things don't really have any ability to hold us, to secure us. That when, when things are going well, it's okay, right? I can keep working. I can do what I'm doing. But the moment when the ground starts to shift, when I start to lose my balance, when there's a circumstance, a situation that I can't understand, guess what? This thing is not going to hold me. You see, we have to be aware of the things that we put our trust in, that we put our hope in, the things that we call our anchor. We just talked about what our anchor is. Our anchor is secure because of who Jesus is. But if we put it in the systems of this world, what we're going to quickly find out is that they're going to work only for so long until the rubber meets the road, until times get difficult, until we're faced with a challenge that we can't fix on our own. We have to know what our anchor truly is. We have to know where we have placed our hope. See, last week we called Jesus the standard of hope, meaning that he is the the measurement that we put everything else up against. He is the backing of our hope. He's the reason why we can have hope. And, And you see, that used to be the case in something that we hope for a lot in life, something that we put our hope in a lot in life. You see, there's this thing called money, currency, that we put a lot of hope in, that we hope for more. We hope that when we need it, it's going to be there. But this currency used to actually be tied to something, right? There used to be something called the gold standard, which meant that every note of currency actually was connected to something, an anchor, if you will, that gave it its value. And that actually, if you took your currency to the central bank, that there was gold that was attached to it, and so that you could actually put a demand on the gold and say, I'm going to give you this. I want the gold that it represents. You see, that was the gold standard. There was something that it it actually connected to. But now there is no gold standard, which means that our currency is based off of something that's moving all the time. It's based off of our, our economy, It's based off of our policies. It's based off of how much trust people have in our currency. When other nations look at us, yeah, that's a problem. You see, it's not based off of anything solid. And we have to be aware in our lives where we have based our confidence on anything that is not found in the truth and the word of God. There has to be a standard that we can go back to and realize that if our standard is anything less than Jesus, that's a problem. And it's, it could be a scary thing when we talk about the value of money. But how many people treat their view of eternity in the same way? 
Like, I hope that when I get to the end of this life, that I stand before God. I hope that there is a God. I hope that he's benevolent. I hope that he's understanding. I hope that he cares about my value system as much as I do. I hope that he thinks that what I think is right is right. And what I think is wrong is wrong. I hope that he understands, you know, the situation that I'm in right now and that I know what his word says, but, but the rest of the people around me said this. So clearly he cares about what I think more than what the word says. If we go into something as significant and important as eternity with a hope based off of things that are ever shifting and changing, guess what? That's a real scary thing. This is why we continually say in the church, we have to know the hope that we have because we need to bring this hope to others. There are so many that would base their, their lives off of, I think I did more good than bad. And because of that, God's going to let me into heaven. Can we really base our eternal hope off of something that is moving and the goalpost that is changing all the time? No, we have to know the truth of where our hope is found. We have to tie and attach our hope to the one that doesn't move, the one that doesn't change, the one that is eternally going to be in that position for us. So if we go back to this, to this example, right? What we hold ourselves to and what we attach ourselves to must be solid. And the only place that I know of to go back to is this right here. It's the cross of Christ. You see, when I anchor myself to the cross, when I anchor myself to the truth of what God has said, it doesn't matter what situations come. It doesn't matter if the unknown comes. It doesn't matter when the situations of life are no longer as stable as they used to be. You see, when I'm called to step into a situation, to step into faith, I better know that what is holding me is secure. Okay? I have to know what I'm anchored to. But a lot of times, this is what faith looks like, right? I'm stepping into something, and I don't know what's there. I can't see it. I don't have the ability to hold on to it. And if I fall, it's going to hurt. It's going to make for a good viral video on YouTube, maybe. <laughs> you see, I have to be aware of who's holding me. And in our lives, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we tied to? And in what places of our lives have we allowed certain things to, to take control? When our emotions are going all over the place because we're so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, what are we tied to? When I'm afraid about tomorrow because there's a diagnosis in my life, what am I tied to? You see, it doesn't mean that when I hope and when I have a strong anchor that my problems are going to change. It doesn't mean that everything gets better because I know what I'm tied to. It means, though, that I have the ability to see with greater clarity based off of the truth of what God has said. It means that I have the ability in the midst of the circumstance to recognize that maybe it's not going to change the way that I want it to in the time that I want it to, but I trust that there is a God who has spoken something over my life and that he will use everything that the enemy has meant for evil. He will use it for good in my life. But the way that I find this out is by listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth. You know that my, my mouth has a direct connection to what I'm tied to. 
the things that I say, my thoughts, my belief systems, they're directly tied. And I want to say this, there is a lot of people in this world right now, and yes, in the church, that have belief systems that are based off of how good you can be, how much good you can do, how you can abide by and follow every part of the law. Guess what? If your truth is attached to that system, if your belief system is attached to that, then the moment that things get too difficult for you to continue to do that, it's going to fail you. We have to realize that the byproduct of our life, the decisions that we make, the ability that we have to follow the Word of God, to be obedient to what he calls us to do has to be found in our positioning in Christ first and foremost. Because it is never about our ability. It's about our decision to surrender to him first and foremost. It's about our ability to say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender what I believe, what I know, what I hold on to, because I know that you are the one, that you are the anchor, that you are the foundation. It's from that place that I could be who you called me to be. It's no longer my self-righteousness. It's believing in your righteousness. It's believing that I have now become righteous through the cross of Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Paul says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Faith results in work. Love results in labor. This word labor means a willingness to go through great sacrifice because of our love. And hope produces endurance. Hope produces endurance. You know what that means? It means that hope gives us the ability to see beyond the challenge in front of us. It gives us the ability to see beyond to recognize what God is doing. It doesn't necessarily change the circumstance. But when we have hope, we recognize that on this side of the challenge, on this side of the problem, that we can stand in faith because of what he has done for us. It means that we can be strengthened in the midst of the situation, that we can find the strength that we need to continue on another day, but to not stop there. Because we recognize that the thing that we're facing is another opportunity to see God come through for me. The thing that is up, that I'm up against right now is another opportunity to see his strength made perfect in my life. But if we don't have hope, what are we looking at? The situation. We're looking at what we don't have. We're looking at the lack. There are a lot of situations that I know of right now in this church, even in this room, that require a greater hope, a greater expectancy, a greater trust and ability to step in perseverance because people are dealing with real things. I don't stand up here pretending that everything is good, everything is merry, everything is going exactly the way that we would expect it to. We're dealing with sickness. We're dealing with disease. We're dealing with poverty. We're dealing with lack of provision. We're dealing with issues in our families and in our world. These things exist. 
But we have to realize that when we are anchored to the truth, that we are given the hope that we need to believe in spite of those things and to ask for more, to ask for his power, to ask for his strength, to rely on his grace. There are some things in this room here today that I know that there are a lot of us that need to say, yes, Lord Jesus, we need more of your grace. But it's not just this mentality of, okay, if I have your grace, all right, I can wake up tomorrow. I can go through the same thing all over again. It's a grace that says I can continue on in a place of worship. I can continue on in a place of thanksgiving. I can continue on in a place that looks dark, knowing that you've given me the light. I can continue on trusting, knowing that no matter what happens in this lifetime, that there is an eternity that comes after this. And this light and momentary affliction, the slight distress of this passing hour, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory to the world without end.